guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I am a longtime fashion blogger and a single woman in my 30s who loves to chat all things life, work, and love. So I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I discuss recent recs and reviews, answer listener questions, and discuss fun, interesting topics relevant to women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. Each episode follows the same structure with dedicated segments you can rely on week after week. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I hope all of y'all had a fabulous Labor Day weekend. While mine was fairly uneventful and that I didn't have any wild nights or travel somewhere fun, it was just the weekend I needed after that bachelorette in Mexico last weekend. But before we get into what I did over the holiday weekend, let's go through last week. It was actually very fun. I was pretty social all week long. So on Tuesday, I grabbed dinner with my friend Katie at the Mexican, which is a fairly new restaurant in the design district that I have been dying to go to. It's nearly impossible to snag a reservation unless you set up a resi notification, which is how I got the 6 p.m. res for Tuesday. Our reservation was for the cocktail area, but now having gone, I definitely recommend getting a reservation for the dining room. The cocktail area tables are so small and our server didn't space out our dishes enough. So the table was overcrowded. We ended up having to send a couple of dishes away to be boxed up. The chips and salsa had to be removed from the table. At one point, I was even holding my plate because there just wasn't anywhere to set it down. So not the best setup if you plan to share a bunch of things. But the ambiance and decor of the restaurant is amazing, and I definitely go back if I was able to sit at a regular dining table. There's also a cigar bar in the back, which wasn't open that night, but I'd love to go back and grab a drink there. I looked online and it didn't, I couldn't find a place where it said the hours, but I'm just going to assume maybe it's not open earlier in the week and maybe it's just open on the weekends, but we may have to do some research and figure that out. But it looked cool. As far as the food goes, Katie and I thought it would be fun to order a bunch of starters instead of big entrees. So we got the queso fundido and this cauliflower, which came with a truffle habanero pistachio dressing, both of which were absolutely fantastic. And I would definitely order them again. The other items we ordered included the crispy pork belly and the hamachi sashimi, both of which were good, but not great. The pork wasn't super tender and it was served with tortillas and sauces, but even still, it tasted pretty dry altogether. Um, And then the sashimi was served with jalapeno slices and ponzu, which I normally love, but it was missing something. I feel like generally dishes like this are served with some hint of citrus or maybe even a fruit like a slice of apple or pear or something. It just needed something different to cut the savory flavor of the ponzu. So I definitely think it was missing something, but it was fine. Otherwise, it just probably wasn't my favorite dish. But we also ordered the Manchego whipped potatoes with chorizo gravy. And this was something that Liza, my assistant, recommended. And we loved that, too. The service was pretty spotty. They brought my drink right away. And the first few dishes came pretty quickly, too. But then it's like our server totally forgot about us and she didn't come back by the table. We'd been wanting to order dessert, but we truly could not flag her down. It was a very busy evening, even for a Tuesday. And it was about 15 minutes after we finished eating that we were even able to get her attention. Like I said, it was busy, but we were just sitting there waiting for her to come back. So I am glad we did order dessert, though, because it was incredible. The ice cream cake we got is not to be missed. That was certainly the highlight, and it's huge. So definitely a shareable dessert. 
All in all, I'd probably give the experience at the Mexican a six or seven out of 10. Like I said, I definitely go back. The ambiance is great. Some of the food was great, but I definitely want to sit in the dining room and I'd probably order some different things next time. The next day, I saw my friend and colorist Monty for a full highlight appointment. It's been a while since I've had a full done. I normally just get half, you know, highlights done. I probably do a full once or twice a year. My hair looks so bright and I love the new toner he used. So I'm really glad we did that. But the only downside to the appointment was Hair Stories AC crept out the day before and it had yet to be fixed. So it was a literal sauna in the salon as Monty was foiling my hair. It was awful. And I felt so bad for him because he'd had to work there yesterday and that morning with the AC off. I can't even imagine. But it's obviously not his or the salon's fault. But I have to admit, I got pretty claustrophobic once my hair was foiled because it felt like the heat was being trapped around my face and neck. Kind of hard to describe what that's like. (laughs) And he said I could go sit outside while my hair processed. But the temp outside was the exact same as inside. And there was full sun which obviously would have made me hotter. So I kind of just had to sit there boiling while it processed for 20 minutes inside. Near the end of my appointment, the AC had been fixed. So by the time he was washing my hair, the air was starting to cool, but that was bad. It was a bad experience, but I came out of it with fabulous hair. So always got to look at the silver linings there. That night I grabbed dinner with my friend Taylor at Il Bracco, which she had never been to, which I'm so shocked about because it's like my neighborhood fave. And you guys know I've talked about it a lot. I got the chicken pagata again. I think it's my new favorite dish. And I ended up having some leftover along with some of the broccolini I ordered. So I ate that for lunch the next day too. And it was divine. I honestly think that's the way to go. Always have leftovers. (laughs) On Friday, the conference table for my office was finally delivered. So I ordered this piece back in March. So it's obviously been kind of a long time coming. It's an oval tulip table from William Sonoma with a Carrera marble on top and a brass base. It is gorgeous. And originally, my interior designer, Amelia, had found almost an identical one on Restoration Hardware. But when I was looking at the prices, I was like, these look pretty similar. And the Restoration Hardware one was like two or $3,000 more. So <laughs> I went with the William Sonoma. And it is gorgeous. And I love the way it looks in the space. It's situated perfectly on the carpet. There's actually a little circle in the middle of the carpet that the base perfectly fits into. So it's like meant to be there. But the chairs that will be situated around the desk or not desk, the conference table are going to be the same style of slip covered chairs that Liza and I already sit at at our desks, uh, just without arms. They are restoration hardware though, and they're pretty pricey and I need several. So I'm probably going to wait to order those because I just ordered something else. So while we're on the subject of house updates, I finally ordered a breakfast table and chairs, and I ordered a gorgeous velvet green chair for this empty corner in my bedroom. Thanks to all the Labor Day sales happening this weekend, I got all three items 20% off at McGee & Co., The breakfast table is a soft gray wood, which will tie in my living room rug and the art hanging in the breakfast area. And then the chairs I ordered are white with a neutral seat and a cane back. So they tie in all of the other neutrals in the room, the warm woods, all of that. I can't wait to see it installed. It's going to be gorgeous. Fingers crossed it all works, though, because they're non-returnable. And I don't know what I'm going to do if they don't work. So (laughs) fingers crossed. At least I got them on sale. The velvet chair for my bedroom was kind of an impulse purchase because of the Labor Day sale. 
but I've been wanting to add a chair or a bench to that space as an extra spot to sit down or set things on. My bedroom is mostly neutral, but the lumbar pillow on my bed is a dark floral print with lots of olive green in it. So the velvet chair is an olive green as well. And I thought that would really tie it all together and add a little color to the mostly neutral space. The rest of the space is like cream, black, tan. There's a little cognac on the bed thanks to a couple pillows and a blanket. But I think the dark green will make it even more rich and warm and inviting and cozy. So I'm very excited about that. And once I have that chair, I think my bedroom will officially be complete. I'm obviously thrilled to have ordered the breakfast table and chairs too, as that space off my kitchen and living room has been completely empty since I moved in nearly two years ago. So hopefully those will work out and it'll all look great and I can be done with that space. Of course, both of those items are back ordered. And according to the website, it'll be a couple months before they ship. But fingers crossed that timing is accurate and I can get it all before the holidays. On Friday night, I grabbed dinner at Shinsei with my friend Graham. I had been craving sushi all week, and that's my usual go-to. So he and I went, and he's been eating very healthy lately and inspired me to order some healthier options than I normally do. When I'm wanting to go all out, I always love the tempura spicy tuna roll, Katina's crispy rice, and Thai fried rice. I bet you're sensing a theme. Lots of rice. But this time, I got my favorite Dragon Lady pressed roll, which is like a flame seared salmon. There's um, a jalapeno slice on top, a bunch of other stuff. And it's like pressed really thin. So it's just like a really easy bite. I love it. Um, So I got that and I got their famous Brussels sprouts. They're so good. You guys definitely order those. And then Graham and I shared some edamame and Lene's sashimi, which is a menu item I'd never ordered before, but it was so good. It features a slice of crispy garlic and a little drop of curry. Oh, okay, Reese's. (laughs) She's in here with me if you heard that big snore. But like I said, it features the little crispy garlic, a little drop of curry, both of which added so much flavor and the garlic added a nice crunch to it too. So I will definitely be ordering that again. The curry was just so unexpected, not something I would have probably ordered on my own, but I'm so happy that he made me try it. It was so good. And then on Saturday morning, I went back to Encina, which I mentioned two episodes ago. It's that new restaurant in the Bishop Arts District that had the amazing skillet cornbread that I mentioned. I told Emma and Whitney about it last weekend at the Bachelorette and how I'd been wanting to try their brunch. So they went with me and we all got something different, but we shared an order of the biscuits and gravy as a starter. It was so decadent and delicious. It didn't really look like a typical biscuits and gravy. It was sort of a reddish color. It wasn't um, like a cream gravy looking. I think it was cream gravy, but there was like paprika or something in it that gave it a different color. And then there were a couple of uh, fried eggs on top, but it was really, really good. But the real star of the brunch was the order of pancakes I got for my entree. And I mentioned this two episodes ago, but just as a reminder, they use the same blue corn for their skillet cornbread as they do for the pancakes, which is what makes them so out of this world. It will blow your mind. It is served with butterscotch syrup, salted butter, and a side of bacon. It was so good. We all agreed that was the best thing we ate. I am obsessed, and I will definitely be going back for those pancakes. I'm normally like a savory breakfast person, but I would 100% go back every weekend for those delicious pancakes. I just can't recommend them enough. I spent the rest of the afternoon snuggling on the couch with my dog Reese's and watching a lot of TV and new movies. I'll tell you all about those in the next segment, so stay tuned for that. But let's just say I watched too much TV this weekend. 
Uh, that on Sunday morning, I met up with my friend Laura at the Knox entrance of the Katy Trail, which is a long trail in central Dallas where people can walk, run, bike, all of that stuff. And we went on a walk that ended at Katy Trail Ice House, which is a kind of a famous bar. They've got a huge outdoor area. They've got barbecue now, but we ended up grabbing a couple of drinks and eating brunch there before our walk all the way back. And it was so much fun. Now I want to do this every weekend. I can't believe I hadn't done this before, but to be honest, I'm not sure I could have done it in the dead of summer. It was a little cooler on Sunday, so <laughs> it was a little better, but Katie Trail Ice House opens at 10 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday, so it's the perfect casual post-walk destination for a drink or brunch. We ordered loaded cheese fries, and then we each ordered a sandwich. She got the BLT and loved it. I got the grilled cheese, which I was very much looking forward to, but I didn't love. I love grilled cheese, but this one had too much bread and the bread tasted dry. It just, it was too much bread. So next time I'm going to try something else. But like I said, the fries were amazing. And I also had two summer beers, which are delicious. And it was, I'd forgotten about those, but it just sounded right that morning. It's basically like Blue Moon lemonade. And I think Deep Eddie lemonade vodka. I can't remember exactly what's in it, but it was the perfect brunch beverage. After that, I went home for a few hours to relax, and then I headed over to the ozone bar to use the Hocket. And I've mentioned this before, but the Hocket is basically an infrared and ozone sauna that you sit in for 30 minutes. Your head is out, but your body's in, and it's supposed to have tons of amazing health benefits. Well, let's just say it was not the thing to do after a couple cocktails and a hot-ass walk on the Katy Trail. I ended up getting too overheated and ended my session a little early. I'm normally fine for the full 30 minutes. I've gone a bunch, but I think I was just dehydrated and it gave me a pounding headache by the end of the session. Luckily, I made it back home. I was kind of feeling faint there for a little bit, but luckily I made it back home and onto the couch and I managed to stay there the rest of the afternoon and evening. Like I said, so much TV was watched, you guys. (laughs) I had plans to grab dinner with my friend Allie, who I haven't seen in literally forever, but we both felt like rain checking and literally because the most insane storm swept through Dallas mid-afternoon. It was like hurricane force winds up in here, so much so that a large limb cracked off the tree in my backyard and fell onto my newly installed landscaping and front gate furniture. I went outside after the storm and it was too heavy for me to lift, but I did shift it over a little bit so it wasn't leaning on one of my trees I just installed. It, the, one of the like branches is already bent. I'm so mad, but I'm hoping my yard guys can help cut it up or move it tomorrow because I can't lift it by myself. It's just too heavy. Um, I'm just grateful it didn't fall onto my house and do any structural damage. As someone kindly reminded me on Instagram when I shared photos of the downed limb, my backyard is just the gift that keeps on giving. Even though I had quite a few social plans over the last week, I had a bit of time to watch TV too, as you have just heard. (laughs) The first thing I watched last week was a new rom-com called Look Both Ways on Netflix. It stars Lily Reinhart of Riverdale fame, and she plays Natalie Bennett, a UT grad who we follow in sort of a sliding doors scenario. In one scenario, she gets pregnant after a romp with one of her closest guy friends, and in the other, she doesn't get pregnant from that one-night stand. It follows both scenarios kind of side by side. One is she decides to postpone her career, keep the baby, and stay in Austin where her parents are, and the other where she's not pregnant and she moves to L.A. to pursue a career she's dreamed about and worked toward for years. It's a really cute story with a sweet ending, so it's definitely a feel-good movie to add to your list. So check that out. 
Uh, random fact about this movie though, Natalie's parents' house in the movie is actually my assistant Liza's aunt's house in Austin. So they actually did film the movie in Austin and Netflix dropped a note in her mailbox expressing an interest in using her home for the film. So her aunt moved out for three months and Netflix repainted, furnished and filmed in the house. And I just thought that was such a funny coincidence and she hasn't seen it yet, but you guys need to watch it. It's cute. It's called Look Both Ways on Netflix. The next thing I watched was Partner Track, which is also on Netflix, and it's a dramedy series following lawyer Ingrid Young as she works toward making partner at her firm. There's romance, there's fashion, there's tense drama. It's kind of got it all, but it is very cheesy, and some of the writing will make you cringe. At least it made me cringe. Like, for example, when her new boyfriend is testing out baby names, like Sugar Plum. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) I hate that so much, but I love her coworkers and their banter, especially her banter with Rachel Friedman, played by Alexandra Tertian. She is hilarious. And this is sort of random, but the show kind of gave me Grey's Anatomy vibes because each episode starts out with Ingrid narrating the intro with some philosophical question like Meredith Grey does on Grey's Anatomy. And I also like to think of Rachel as the Christina Yang to her Meredith. So definitely keep that in mind. And then my friend Grace Atwood, also watched it this weekend. And she mentioned she thought partner track was sort of a suits meets gossip girl vibe, which is spot on. So it's got all of the lawyer drama from suits met with fashionable New York settings and plenty of romance. After partner track, I watched the patient, which my friend Taylor recommended to me at dinner on Wednesday. And it's on Hulu and it stars Steve Carell as a therapist who gets abducted by his patient. I'm only three episodes in and the episodes are only 30 minutes long. So I don't know too much yet, but it's definitely intriguing. The one thing I don't love is that so far, most of the episodes are just two of them in a basement talking. And I feel like I need a little more excitement and other things happening to get me hooked, but we'll see where it goes. The patient is played by Domhnall Gleeson, who was in About Time, Ex Machina, and he also played Bill Weasley in the last two Harry Potter movies, but you can check out The Patient on Hulu. And then after that, I watched the first two episodes of the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon Prime called Rings of Power. Y'all, it sucked. (laughs) I was so disappointed. The sets are absolutely beautiful and the special effects are amazing. I mean, they're putting so much money into this series, but I didn't connect to any of the characters. I wasn't pulled in at all by the storyline over two episodes. In fact, I didn't really feel like there was a solid plot at all. It just felt overacted and kind of like a cheap portrayal of the magic that we all saw in theaters when the Lord of the Rings trilogy came out. This is a huge project and it's already committed to five seasons, I think, maybe six. So I just hope the writers have a plan. So far, it just kind of feels sloppy and overdone at the same time without providing any direction right off the bat, which to me is not a good sign, but I'm probably going to keep watching just to see if it improves at all, but I cannot recommend it. Another Netflix rom-com came out over the weekend called Love in the Villa, and it stars Kat Graham from the Vampire Diaries fame. She plays Julie, a woman fresh off a breakup that decides to go on the couple's vacation in Verona that she'd planned for her and her former boyfriend. Upon arrival, she discovers that the villa she rented is also being rented by a guy at the exact same time, and they are forced to stay on the property together. So naturally, hijinks and hilarity ensues as the two try to get each other to move out. 
The ending is pretty predictable and some of the pranks that they play on each other are ridiculous, but I loved the chemistry between Julie and the male antagonist, Charlie, who is played by Tom Hopper, who is so gorgeous. He looked familiar to me, but I couldn't place him. But after a quick Google search, I discovered he was in Game of Thrones. He is so handsome and so British in the best way. (laughs) It's not the best rom-com I've ever seen, but it's cute and funny and it's entertaining and it's just a good mindless watch to add to your list for a lazy night in. After Love in the Villa, I watched another movie called I Came By, which is also on Netflix, and it's a thriller. And the movie name is super dumb, but if you can get past that, it's pretty good. It's about a graffiti artist who breaks in and vandalizes the homes of the rich and famous to prove he can get to anyone. All is well until he breaks into the home of a former judge who has a terrifying secret hidden in his basement, which puts the graffiti artist and other people in his life in serious danger. The judge is played by Hugh Bonneville, who played Robert Crawley in the Downton Abbey series and movies. So it was kind of fun to see him in such a different frightening role. He played it well. While there's not a ton of gore you see, it's very implied and will make you squirm. So just know that, but it'll keep you on the edge of your seat and on your toes the whole time. To finish off my weekend of binge watching so many things, I started and finished Devil in Ohio, which is another new Netflix series. I had high hopes for this one as I'm a pretty big fan of horrors and thrillers and cult topics and that kind of thing, but And I was captivated by it, but I was a little disappointed it wasn't actually scary, at least to me. It wasn't until the very last episode that it felt like things were really happening. It was mostly just like hints throughout each episode that something was off and nothing super damning or frightening happens. (laughs) I guess I was just hoping for more. But anyway, Devil in Ohio is about a girl named May who appears to have escaped from captors and ends up getting checked into a hospital thanks to signs of abuse, including a pentagram being carved into her back, which if you don't already know, pentagram, (laughs) a lot of people attribute that to like satanic worship. Anyway, one of the therapists at the hospital connects with her and agrees to take her home while they figure out where to put her since the foster system was full at the time of her arrival. This girl, May, pretty much moves right in and starts becoming a part of their lives and family. And like I said before, there's not anything outright scary about her or in most of the episodes, but May does have odd behavior and eventually puts many of the family members on edge. And I I won't give away anything in case you're currently watching it, but there's definitely themes, like I said, of like satanic rituals and cults and that kind of thing. But like I said, didn't scare me. I didn't feel like there was ultimately that much to say about the show by the time I got done with it. I wish there had been more. I mean, it kept you on because you wanted to see where it was going and what the back end story of May was, but I didn't, I didn't love it by the time I got to the end of it. Now that I'm finally done telling you about everything I watched, I also got through two audiobooks this last week and weekend. So I finished Pretty Things by Janelle Brown, which I told you guys about a few weeks ago. Audiobooks take me a while to finish, mostly because I listen to so many podcasts during the week, and audiobooks are generally what I fall back on once I've run out of the podcast episodes I want to listen to. Pretty Things was good, but not great in my opinion. The story pivoted three different times, which wasn't confusing, but it was more like, let's get on with it. Like, why is this still happening? Like, let's just get to the end of the story. The author definitely has you questioning who the bad guy is. So that was entertaining. And I was definitely hooked on listening through the very end. But I just think there were a lot of extraneous details that weren't necessary and it didn't make the book any more interesting. 
After finishing that book, I started Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica, and it snagged me immediately. (laughs) Originally, you think it's about a child who is abducted and manages to escape 11 years later, and the author hooks you quickly by starting off with the girl detailing her own experience as a captive and her eventual escape, which had me fully on my toes and worried she'd get recaptured. While I was on a walk, I literally was like, hurry up, as if my words would make the girl run faster out the door. So to say this book pulls you in is an understatement. It definitely will captivate you. But there are quite a few twists and unexpected turns that made this book really question everything you thought you knew at the beginning of the book. So there's a little bit of confusion. There's a little bit of, again, who's the bad guy? But I really enjoyed this one as compared to Pretty Things. I just think Local Woman Missing was sort of a better story. a lot. And when I do, I generally don't eat as healthy. At the very least, I know I'm not eating as many vegetables as I consume when I cook for myself at home. Even though I was treating myself more than I normally do during the week, I felt no guilt knowing that I was taking AG1 by Athletic Greens every day. AG1 features 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. It's the perfect micro habit to incorporate into your everyday routine that comes with big health benefits. I particularly love how it helps my gut health and keeps it on point and keeps me regular, even on days when I'm not making the best food choices. I recently took the travel packs with me to Mexico, and I'm so glad I did so I could maintain at least one healthy habit on that trip. I just poured the packet into half a bottle of water, shook it up, threw it back first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, and it felt really amazing to start my day off with AG1, especially since we were eating so many delicious meals and I wasn't getting much exercise. I'm a creature of habit, so I loved having something from my morning routine to keep me grounded and feeling my best on that trip. AG1 is lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It costs less than $3 a day, plus you're investing in your health, which is more than I could say about my old cold brew habit. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash beckoncall. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash call to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Comparison is the thief of joy. That's a phrase I think we've all heard and it bears repeating. With social media and easy access to your favorite celebrities, models, and influencers, the comparison game has become a very pervasive part of our reality. Has the comparison game always existed? Sure. But it wasn't until all of the various social media channels were exposed to on a daily basis that you were inundated with images and videos from people living very different and often seemingly better lives than you. What people often forget about social media is that it is a highlight reel and an account of what people want you to see. Even influencers who claim to be the most authentic and vulnerable don't show you every single high and low going on in their lives. Just like how models don't share exactly what they eat or don't eat, don't even get me started when they say they eat pizza and bagels because I know you're lying. (laughs) You're not going to get the full picture of another person's life just by looking at their Instagram profile. 
It's easy to compare yourself and your life to others on social media simply because you are presented with so many of those highlight reels of the people you follow every single day. It can be a constant reminder of the things you may desire but don't have. Designer bags you can't afford, six-pack abs you'll never get, destinations you've never been to, a romantic relationship that seems just out of reach. Literally, the list goes on forever. No matter where you come from, what your relationship status is, how much money you have, nothing excludes you from the comparison game. We're all victims of it in some way, and the grass is always greener, right? Maybe you're a busy mom who craves freedom and independence and the ability to travel on a whim. Maybe you're a single lady envious of the romantic posts of someone who has already found a steady relationship. Maybe you're in a rut at your job and following someone who sings the praises of their own job constantly. Or perhaps you struggle with a healthy body image and follow a bunch of people who make you feel insecure about how you look. Would some of these comparison struggles still exist without social media? Of course, but social media feeds the beast and keeps you always wanting more. It serves up various comparisons all day long for you to agonize over or feel anxious about. Let's go through some of the comparisons I struggle with when scrolling through my Instagram feed. So my weight and body image are certainly at the top of the list. When looking at some of the most prominent influencers and other people working in the fashion industry, it's obvious that being skinny is still paramount and a good predictor of success. The people who look quote unquote best in clothes are more likely to sell those clothes, therefore are more likely to get shared and grow their audiences, leading to more business opportunities and partnerships. While I definitely think body positivity and body neutrality are making headway, the fashion industry still has a long way to go and there's still a huge value placed on thinness. My weight has fluctuated quite a bit since I started blogging. So I've, I think when I first started blogging, I was at one of my skinniest times. I was probably around 130 pounds. I'm 5'9", by the way, so that's pretty low, but I floated around from 130 pounds to 165 pounds over the course of the last 12 years, and my engagement has been at its highest when I'm on the lower end of that range. That's just the unfortunate truth and the reality of working in fashion. While consumers may want to shop from people who have similar bodies to their own, the images that are constantly getting shared and reposted on Pinterest, on brand pages, for example, they tend to be more slender people. Think about some of the biggest influencers you follow on social media. What do they look like? Are they real thin? If body image is a big issue for you and you answered yes to that question, it might be time to mute or unfollow influencers, models, or celebrities that poke at those insecurities and make you feel bad about yourself. Out of sight, out of mind. You might think even if you delete them from your feed, you'll still think about them and they'll come to mind. But I swear, once they stop showing up in your feed, you won't give it a second thought. I've often forgotten about people only because Instagram hides them from me and not because I've muted them. But sometimes I will forget about people if they don't show up in my social media feed. So there's proof. Another comparison I struggle with is my life stage. So at 35, the majority of people I follow that are my age and older are married with kids, or at the very least have a partner. It's not so much that I'm jealous of the marriage of these people, but more so the couples only things people tend to do. So, so many people I know go on double dates with other couples. They go on couples only trips with all of their friends. Some of them even do family trips with their friends who also have kids around their age. Since I'm not part of a couple and I also don't have kids, I obviously wouldn't be included in those evenings out and couples only vacations. And I get why, but it still makes me a little envious and like I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my life. 
I know I'm successful. I have a million wonderful things to be grateful for, but people make such a show of their romantic relationships and friendships online. So it can be a little grating to watch if you're not in that live stage. I also struggle with comparison in terms of my business too, from comparing follower counts on Instagram to the number and types of collaborations other influencers have. It's especially frustrating doing that comparison when I know the person in question did some questionable things like loop giveaways to get themselves to a certain follower count. I value integrity, and so I would never do any of those things myself. But that also means I feel like I got left in the dust when so many other influencers skyrocketed several years back. I'm sure non-influencers do not care to hear me complain about that stuff, but it's something I've struggled with, and it's been a frustrating part of growing my business this last decade. Another thing I think about is what it would be like to just use Instagram for fun. I sometimes get jealous of people who can shut it off whenever they want, don't have to deal with expectations of strangers, and whose lives just don't revolve around making content and being at the mercy of strangers on the internet. It can be exhausting trying to keep up with the constant communication and feedback, the requests, even demands of strangers, the ever-evolving landscape of current events and how that should or shouldn't be woven into content. So naturally, it's tempting to think about an alternative life where this isn't my reality. I'm sure there are many, many things I compare myself and my life to in perusing social media and all of the people I follow, but those are probably the ones that are the most frequent in my mind. And now that I've shared some of my personal experiences in dealing with the comparison game, let's chat about some ways you can combat it and protect yourself from negative self-talk. So one of the first things and easiest things you can do is to set boundaries. Limiting exposure to people who trigger you will definitely decrease your anxiety and frustration around the comparison game. So whether that's to limit your time on Instagram by scrolling less or just going on there to see what your friends have posted or muting and unfollowing people that make you feel less than, setting boundaries on your own social media use could have a major impact on how you feel day to day. Continuing to follow people who make you feel bad about yourself is a form of self-harm for sure. And it's luckily totally in your control. So as I mentioned earlier, out of sight, out of mind, get those people out of your feed. I was recently listening to the Blonde Files podcast episode with Half-Baked Harvest, who also happens to be my favorite food blogger and recipe developer I follow and discovered she never scrolls on Instagram, which is wild to me since she is an influencer. It's mostly because she doesn't have the time during the day as she's working in the kitchen, but she said it's been great for her and that she doesn't get distracted by what others are doing and instead spends that time she could be scrolling, making her work the best it can be. And this helps her stay original and she doesn't get influenced by other people's content. This is something that I'd really like to start implementing for myself. I spend so much time posting on the app as it is. So instead of spending even more time on there, just endlessly scrolling, I'm going to make a real effort to just get on the app to post and not scroll. So that's a goal I'm setting for myself. I have a close friend who occasionally fully deletes Instagram from her phone for weeks at a time. That way she's not tempted to log in and she can have a clean break from the app when she needs it or when she feels like the comparison game is getting to her. I think this is a fabulous idea. Unfortunately, my job relies heavily on Instagram, so that's not really something I can do, at at least at this time but it's a solid option if you're just using it for fun. Number two, focus on your own journey. We all have different paths and plans and dreams for ourselves. So why would we compare our journey to somebody else's? 
It's easy to get distracted by the perceived success and happiness of others, but all you're doing when you focus on them is taking time away from focusing on yourself and your own journey. It can be really tempting to wallow in self-pity. Trust me, I have done it. And while that's fine to do temporarily, all it does in the long run is hold you back. If you find yourself focusing on others too much, do something actionable that will get you closer to your own goals. Perhaps that's committing to setting aside a percentage of your monthly income to put towards a down payment on a condo or a home. For others, it might be doing more meal planning on Sunday to provide yourself with more healthy options to eat throughout the week. And for somebody else, perhaps it's joining a club or a dating app or finding new ways to put yourself out there to meet a romantic partner or make some new friends. Number three, stop seeing everything as a competition. I am a fairly competitive person in terms of work, but I wouldn't say this affects my personal life too much. I've never felt competitive with my friends about who is in a relationship or who has the best job, who goes on the coolest vacations, but I do know some people who are this way. At the end of the day, it truly does not matter who is the first to get married or who has the most successful career. We all have different priorities, different standards, different hopes for our futures. If you feel competitive with your friend who got engaged before you, for example, ask yourself why that is. Is it a fear that you need to be doing things at the same time as your friends so you don't feel left behind? Or do you have some insecurities about your own relationship and are worried that it won't happen for you so you feel like you need to rush it? If you stop seeing everything as a competition and comparing yourself to others, you're more likely to do what is actually best for you. Don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle or end. Give yourself grace to figure out your own path and not what other people expect your path to be. Number four, shut down negative self-talk. Negative self-talk can do a lot of damage, including limiting your thinking and yourself. The more you tell yourself you can't do something, the more you're going to believe it. And I know this one is easier said than done, but there are ways to combat it. One way to do this is to think like a friend. Would you talk to your best friend the way you talk to yourself? Probably not. You'd never point out and pick at a friend's flaws or tell them they're pathetic for not being in a relationship. So why would you torture yourself with that same messaging? You'd encourage and support them. So show yourself kindness and grace, even in the more challenging moments where you're questioning yourself and your purpose. Negative self-talk often goes unchallenged. So hold yourself accountable and call yourself out when you're being too hard on yourself. If this means having to write positive messages on your mirror with lipstick, go for it. Do what you can to remind yourself of the wonderful things you possess. When you feel overwhelmed and are tempted to beat yourself up with negative self-talk, take a few minutes of mindfulness or meditation. I'm personally not very good at this myself, but sometimes all you need is a distraction to get your mind off of things that are bothering you and just you're going inward. So listen to a podcast, go on a walk, maybe silently, (laughs) live with your thoughts, or try a quick meditation on Calm or Peloton or some other app that can clear your mind. Shifting your perspective can also be really helpful for backing down on negative self-talk. Don't forget to look at the bigger picture. Is what you're worrying about today really going to matter in five to 10 years? And I wanna be clear in saying that I don't mean your worries don't matter. Any worries, big and small, can matter. But more so, is the timing of it all so important to you that it's going to still be on your mind years later? Just speaking in terms of relationships, so often I hear people talk about how anxious they were in their many years of dating. And then looking back, they all said it worked out just the way it should. And they wish they hadn't been in such a rush to figure it all out. 
or back to the competition with getting engaged, is it really going to matter to you in 10 years if your friend got engaged before you did? Look at the big picture. The big picture should include you living your best life and making decisions that are the smartest and healthiest for you. That is what is going to make you happy and feel safe in the long run, not when you get engaged or how skinny you are compared to somebody else or whatever it is. Number five, practice gratitude. Instead of beating yourself up for what you think you lack or where you think you should be in life, think about all the wonderful things you have going on in your life. Sometimes it takes actually making a list of what you're grateful for to remind you of what's important. I've heard amazing things about gratitude journals as a daily reminder of what's making you happy any given day. So like my friend, Jessica Sturdy, at one point she had a gratitude journal where she was asked to write three things down. I think it was three. It could have been five, but let's say three, Uh, three things down that you're grateful for every single day, even if they seem small. Practicing gratitude, even in those small moments, even on your worst days, can shine some light on positive things that may shift your mood. Also, on a bad day, you can refer back to the days prior as a reminder that there are still good things going on in your life to be grateful for. All of that to say, the comparison game is a real thing, and it's something I think we all deal with, especially these days with social media. And I think it's totally okay to take a break or set boundaries or make changes that will positively affect your mental health and make you happier in the long run. So hopefully this was helpful and you enjoyed it, but let's move on to the beck and call segment. All right, guys, we've reached the beck and call segment. If you're new around here, this segment is dedicated to answering listener questions. Whether you need advice or just have a random question you want me to answer, you can call into the hotline at 214-620-0473 to leave a voicemail or submit your questions via email at info at beckandcallpodcast.com. No topic is off limits and I love variety. So keep calling in and emailing me with your questions. Let's get into this week's voicemail. Hey, Merritt. Lauren here. I just want to say thank you for all of your work and content. Big fan. I was wondering, what are some of your favorite financial apps? Um, I was wondering, you know, do you use like an e-trader um, or e-robo-advisor, I guess, <laughs> um, Mint for budgeting, um, any sort of those things. I believe you said before that you do work with a financial advisor. I was wondering if you just do anything um, DIY on top of that. Um, really appreciate everything you do. Thanks so much. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for calling in. This is a great question and honestly something I feel like I should be doing, but don't. (laughs) As far as investing and trading and all of that goes, the financial advisor I work with does that all for me. It's the same person my mom and sister both use, and one of their main jobs is to monitor the financial market and see where opportunities are. They usually send quarterly emails with the status of the financial markets, how certain stocks are doing, and may include some recommendations for changes they'd suggest based on my long-term goals. I am not a finance person and honestly not good at math either and probably wouldn't know where to start if I was doing it on my own or using an app. So the personalized approach I get from working with a financial advisor is perfect for me and just, I don't really have time to do it on my own anyway. So I'm just going to leave it to the experts. Especially since many of the stocks and bonds I'm involved in kind of precede my ability to make these kinds of decisions. So many of these were set up for me by my parents and grandparents. 
And as far as budgeting and saving, it's because of my job being the way it is, it's sort of hard to budget because I'm constantly buying and returning things. And so I've just sort of always eyeballed it. And I am lucky in that I make enough money now and I don't have a ton of expenses. So this isn't great advice, but I've always just kind of winged it. So (laughs) anyway, all of that to say, I really have never ventured into using finance or investing related apps. I'm not super familiar with any of them, so I can't make recommendations there. But I would think having a person you work with directly versus an automated digital approach would probably be more helpful and potentially more successful in the long run. But again, what do I know? (laughs) Now moving on to a couple of email submissions. The first one reads, Hi Merritt, I have followed you for years and always appreciated your style and consistent delivery of content. But now I'm enjoying getting to know you on a different level through your podcast. It is so refreshing and relatable. I find myself laughing out loud alone in my car because you sound just like one of my girlfriends. In the episode where you explained your high school style as a skater or anti-cool, I realized that I'm very similar in that regard. I wouldn't go so far to say I'm a contrarian that defies popular looks for the sake of being different, but instead, I've always desired to have my own unique look. In high school, I would get upset if someone copied an outfit I put together, and in college, I refused to share my clothes. I never shopped trends. I shopped looks that fit my body best and truly excited me to wear. Now that I'm 35, I find myself in a strange limbo. I got married last year and now am a stepmom to the sweetest eight-year-old boy. I want to dress accordingly for this new phase of my life, but I also don't want to lose my individuality. I did a sweep through my closet to rid myself of outfits that just seem like a look of my past, and I'm working on adding all of the timeless wardrobe staples for my future. Now that I've been introduced to, quote unquote, the mom crowd, I find that everyone seems to dress the same. I have not purchased a dress from La Vie or Hill House. I do not wear my Gucci belt with Golden Goose sneakers and YSL bags have been ruined for me. I love all the items I just listed, but I'm, am I being a contrarian for purposefully avoiding a popular look? How do you balance your inner skater girl individuality and your fashion choices? Congrats on the podcast and thanks for all of the joy it brings. Thank you so much for writing into the podcast and for your kind words about my fashion and podcast content. I totally understand what you're saying and can appreciate the desire to have your own look. You are definitely not a contrarian by simply not following the hottest trend at any given moment. I just think you don't always want to follow the crowd and want to maintain your individual sense of style, which is great. I, like you, avoid certain things because it feels overdone or feels like everybody has them. There are certainly exceptions, like Golden Goose. I love them because they're super comfortable and easy to wear every day for travel, etc., Does everyone have them now? Yes, but I still love them. I love that they're already a little dirty, but still look cute. So I don't have to worry about keeping them looking pristine all the time. I love that I can wear them with dresses and I can wear them with jeans for a more casual edgy look. When I'm shopping, I'm not necessarily looking for what's popular or the next big thing. I just fill my closet with items I love. And like you said, what excites me. Occasionally, these two things come together in a line, but not always. So like you said, I had skater vibes in high school while I was trying to quote unquote find myself, but I've definitely grown out of that along with a bad behavior. I was rebellious to say the least. With the exception of sneakers and distressed denim, I've pretty much left that look behind in exchange for a more classic look. I am not the same person I was in high school and my style is representative of that. So I guess I've never struggled with how to balance the two. I'm not like hiding my skater girl inside. Uh, That personality is still there, but I'm just no longer interested in dressing like that, I guess. 
but I do know what you mean about maintaining individuality and wanting to have my own look. So many influencers wear the same cheap pieces from Amazon. They buy the same designer bags, hop on the same trends. While I do follow a lot of influencers, I generally ignore their style choices. I can appreciate their content without being influenced by what they wear. It's sort of like the comparison game we were talking about earlier. I'm just busy doing my own thing, buying what I like, that I don't get distracted by what others are doing in that regard. And that can be you too. You don't have to pay attention to what the mom group is wearing, wear what you like, wear what you love. Again, I'll occasionally buy things that other people are buying, but again, it's not because it's popular. It's because I saw it and I think it's cute and I love it for me. The way to stay true to you is to only buy things you're excited to wear. Just because it doesn't have a logo or isn't the most popular trend doesn't mean it isn't cool. It's cool because you decide it's cool and you wear it with pride. Don't be concerned with the new mom crowd and feeling like you need to fit in. You're 35 years old. You're a grown ass woman. Own your individuality and personal style because that is what makes you who you are. And perhaps they'll learn a thing or two from you. All right. One more question to close out this episode. Can you share more about your veneers? I'm considering getting them, but would love more information. So this is a question I get all the time on my Instagram Q&As. Literally every single time I throw that question box up, I get, I get questions about my veneers. I feel like I've talked about it quite a bit, but because the stories disappear, I always get new people asking that question. So I figured I'd answer the question on my podcast too, so I'd have somewhere to direct people to and don't have to feel like I'm repeating myself all the time. So the story goes, I got veneers my sophomore year in college, and it was because two of my front teeth became discolored. I had root canals in middle school on two of my top teeth, which if you're not familiar, a root canal will leave your tooth dead. And when your tooth dies, it eventually starts to darken because there's nothing keeping it alive, obviously. That began happening at the end of high school for me, and it gave me a lot of anxiety. I was very insecure about it. And so we eventually looked into the options available for fixing that look, and veneers made the most sense. We had a family friend in Austin, or have, he's still here, (laughs) and he still does it, but his name is Dr. Mark Sweeney, and he runs Austin Dental Spa. He specializes in veneers and other cosmetic dentistry procedures, so that's where I had them done. This was done so long ago that I actually don't fully remember what the first couple of appointments were like, but I do remember he had photo books, like albums for me to look through with various smiles featuring the different tooth shapes and levels of brightness I could choose from, from his past patients. I made it very clear I wanted my teeth to look natural because just one year before Hillary Duff had gotten those enormous veneers. (laughs) This was in 2005. She got them. Do y'all remember it was after she was off her Lizzie McGuire show and she got these veneers and they were truly like giant horse teeth. They did not match her face. They were too big. And I told him that it was not what I was going for. So after perusing all of the options, I decided on the look I wanted and we talked about the level of brightness. He suggested not going with the first two lightest options as they can sometimes look too bright and fakey. And I think I think I ended up going with the third lightest option. When I came back for the initial procedure, they shaved down my teeth that were going to have veneers on them and then took an impression of both my top and bottom teeth. And I think they do this not only to get the bite right, but also to create the custom porcelain veneers for each individual tooth. So there has to be a very good impression of every tooth. After they did the impressions, he inserted temporaries, which is just as it sounds. It's a temporary tooth covering that looks like teeth. 
uh, for me to wear while the porcelain veneers were getting made at the lab. The temporaries were bigger than my teeth, so it did give me a little anxiety that my veneers would also be big, but that's just because the temporaries are not customized to you. They're just kind of a standard look, and I had to wear them for maybe a month because that's how long that the lab took to make the porcelain veneers. But once they were complete, I drove back to Austin to have the temporaries removed and the veneers cemented on, and they were perfect. I loved them so much. I still do. I don't remember any of the procedures being painful, mostly because they numb you like they would to fix a crown or fill a cavity. But I do remember my jaw being really sore because they have to keep your mouth open and dry for several hours. So that was probably the most uncomfortable part of the whole thing. Because porcelain can cut teeth and I grind my teeth, I do have to wear a night guard every night. No, it's not cute, but it protects my teeth and the investment in my veneers. I can eat all foods, but I don't bite and pull. So for example, I could, I cut up an apple to eat it versus biting into a whole apple and pulling with my teeth. You're not supposed to do that. The only other time this has been something I've had to think about is when a bread on a sandwich, for example, is too thick, chewy, or hard, or even just like bread, table bread that you get at a restaurant. I usually pull it apart with my hands just to be safe. Cause again, you don't want to bite into something and pull with your teeth. The only issue I've ever had with my veneers after they were installed in the fall of 2006 was when I tried to open the top of a contact solution bottle with my teeth and one of them popped off. (laughs) Y'all, it was the middle of the night. I was at my college boyfriend's apartment. We were hammered, hammered. (laughs) My tooth flew out of my mouth when I was trying to open that bottle. Uh, Luckily, I didn't have to drive all the way to Austin to get that fixed. I just, my Dallas dentist cemented it back on. And like I said, I was drunk when that happened and I learned my lesson. I've never done anything like that since and I haven't had any other issues since. So as long as you don't roughhouse with your mouth, you'll be fine. I can't really speak to the cost because like I said, it's been a long time. I got mine done in 2006 and the price may have changed quite a bit. But from what I recall, it's priced out per tooth. I had the top front eight of my teeth done. So all the teeth that were visible when I smiled, I don't smile with my bottom teeth. So I had the top eight front teeth that were visible done. The more you do, the more expensive it'll be. The one thing I can't emphasize enough that you do if you're looking to have this done is to find the right cosmetic dentist. I know quite a few people who have gotten veneers in the last, what, six years, and they don't look natural. Most are too big, too white, and sometimes the way they're installed can affect your speech and give you a lisp. Do your research and make sure the practice you go to does a more customized approach versus a standard size and brightness. Make sure the dentist is able to achieve the look, size, and shape you want before committing to such a big investment. Don't just go with the option that's easiest or cheapest or that'll be done quickest. Go with someone who is committed to natural looking results and can prove that in your consultation. You should be able to see photos of a variety of their clients right off the bat. And when you do, look closely to see if all of their teeth look the same or if they all look custom to that person's mouth or face. That will be an instant indicator of whether that person is able to achieve the look you're going for. Dr. Mark Sweeney had a lot of options. He was able to customize the shape and size for my mouth. And I feel like it's just the perfect fit for me. If you have any other questions about veneers, please consult a cosmetic dentist. I am not an expert, so I'm only able to share my experience with a process when I did it back in 2006, which again, was a long time ago. So 
Things certainly may have changed. Definitely do your own research and speak with professionals to make sure it's the right option for you and monetarily and all of that. Just find the right person. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to rate and write a review for Beck and Call on Apple Podcasts, or you can rate on Spotify if that's where you listen. Follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, audio clips, and more. And you can also follow me, Merit Beck, for more fashion and travel content. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.